following program is brought to you in living color. I humbly and gratefully accept your nomination for the presidency of the United States. Jesus. That's why. I got the feeling of something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Nope. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, People Powered Radio. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast at 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yep, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says you from bradblog.com thank you for joining us for another action-packed thrilling adventure one that we told you was coming one that we told you months and months and months ago uh, was coming yes it is official official now it is for real even for the doubters and the dead enders out there the never trumpers on thursday night in the quicken loans arena in Cleveland, Ohio, self-proclaimed billionaire, businessman, reality television star, and some would say with good reason accomplished con artist Donald Trump officially accepted the Republican Party's nomination for president of the United States in a dark, often counterfactual acceptance speech that was, according to C-SPAN, the longest in history. And boy, howdy, did it feel like it. Uh, in the uh, unusual speech, Trump offered a long series of dubious, often misleading, often out-and-out false series of statistics about a rising crime rate, which is the opposite of the truth, immigration rates, which were the opposite of reality, and unemployment rates, which were the opposite of, you know, the actual facts. But I'm sure we'll have time to get to fact-checking later because, in fact, with this Republican presidential nominee and this Republican Party, and to a certain extent this disinformed American electorate, thanks to both that corporate media and uh, a political misinformation industry that profits from playing off of a misinformed electorate. Actual facts may not actually even matter anymore in this country. At least not as much as feelings about those facts, whether they are true or not. This post-factual America 
has propelled Donald Trump from day one, as we warned on this program on day one of his candidacy to secure the Republican Party's nomination for president and could very well also succeed in propelling him now to the presidency itself this November. Those who don't think so, who don't think that'll ever happen, who don't think he could possibly win, frankly, simply have not been paying attention over the past year or at least not listening to the broadcast where we've been quite consistent, I think, and, and sadly correct in our warnings on all of this from the beginning. Joining us now is someone who was uh, with us on this program offering those warnings on day one, the day uh, that uh, Donald Trump descended down his escalator at the Trump Tower to announce his run for presidency is the great Heather Digby Parton, known as simply Digby to many longtime progressive blog readers online. Heather is the creator of the infamous Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She is also a regular contributor at Salon.com and 2014's Hillman Prize winner for opinion and analysis journalism. She's also one of the co-founders of the venerable Blue America PAC. Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast. Well, thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, it's it's great to have you here. And, uh, well, before we get started, I actually just realized I also didn't say hello to Desi Doyen. So, yeah, hi, I Desi. am here. Hi, hi. Desi Doyen. Desi is here as well with us today. Wowzer. Okay. Heather, both Nicole Wallace, the former George W. Bush communications director uh, on MSN, on NBC, I think, last night, and Megan McCain, the outspoken daughter of... Uh, Senator John McCain on Twitter last night, they both said the party I belong to died in the Quicken Loans arena at the RNC. But it seems to me that the Republican Party died long ago, Heather. And I want to just sort of start here with this helicopter view of where we are, since you've been with us on this issue from the beginning. Uh, it seems like the party died long ago, but Republicans in the media are now finally beginning to notice. I've been saying for the past week, and, and actually much, much longer, the problem here is not actually Donald Trump, but a broken party, a party that is broken enough to actually make him their presidential nominee. And I think I looked at your article at Salon today, it makes a similar argument. It's headlined, Trump's nomination signals the collapse of an ideological movement and a political party. Now, despite the obsession that the media has with each and every crazy thing that Donald Trump says or tweets, uh, from this helicopter view, isn't all of this much more about the Republican Party than it is about Trump in truth? And, and isn't that still the part of the picture that the media, at least to me, the corporate media, seems to be missing and not taking responsibility for, of course. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, my piece today sort of just, uh, when, when I watched Trump last night, um, and, you know, I mean, it was, it was a truly, I mean, you know, people like us, we've, we've watched a lot of Trump speeches. So mm -hmm. this wasn't, he didn't say anything new. But seeing him in that setting with the big gold Trump letters and the American flags and realizing that he was going out to, you know, 30 million people or so, saying that, giving this speech, mm -hmm. he, which he, in my view, you know, barely tempered um, from what he would give at any, any rally. Um, you know, as I'm watching that, I, you know, you, you have to start thinking, and I was getting ready to write my piece for Swan, and mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, how did this happen? How did we get to this point? And it really it crystallized for me 
the fact that it, it isn't him. It's exactly what you said. This is a has been a sick and unhealthy party for a very long time, um, and you know you can and, and it finally died. Mm. <laughs> it finally succumbed uh, to the illness, and and the reason is is because it's not because they are you know bad leadership or you know gee they had terrible choices for president or whatever. I mean that's all part of it. But it's really that, I mean, they, their, their ideology that they adopted back, you know, starting with Goldwater, reaching, you know, its zenith with, with Reagan, um, was this idea, this conservative movement that was built, it was, they called it the three-legged stool. There was the, uh, you know, the social conservatism, family values, the small government, free markets, and a strong national defense. Mm-hmm. Um, all three of those collapsed within the last 15 years. Social conservatism... It still exists, of course. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that all these things are no longer a factor, but they failed in terms of, you know, on their own um, merits. Mm-hmm. They, fa- they failed on their own terms. For instance, gay marriage, I think that was a real uh, mm-hmm. shocking death blow to the social conservative movement. I mean, nothing could have been more outrageous for them than mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea that gay people could get married. Uh, not even 20 years ago. I honestly think they would have thought that was absurd. We had presidential candidates, you know, within the last decade comparing it to bestiality. Mm-hmm. I mean, including, by the way, Mike Pence, the, the you know, vice presidential nominee. That failed. Now, they still are doing rearguard actions all over the country in, you know, in various states. They're still pushing hard on abortion rights. They're tilting it windmills about, you know, birth control, and, and they have this religious liberty legal challenge going everywhere. And I'm not saying that they're dead. It waxes and wanes, the social conservative movement. But they failed. They failed, you know, in a very spectacular fashion. Iraq, mm-hmm. uh, the neoconservative uh, movement that was ascendant during, you know, the 90s and came to fruition under George W. Bush, uh, I don't think I need to go into the details of the massive failure of that. George well, Bush actually, left office l- with well, 30% approval. So, you know. Well, actually, let me break in to say that I think you do need to go into detail because you regard, uh, you know, th- this movement as having died. I'm not sure it has died. We're going to see how this election plays out, how this general election plays out over the next few months. But the reason I say uh, maybe you do need to go into details is because. You know, the media who I cited here in the opening has is still not reporting the actual facts is still not making it clear. I hold them accountable for where we are and where we have uh, become, because you talk about all of these things that have failed. Yes. These so-called conservative ideals. Yes, they have failed all over the country. And if you look at, you know, these places like uh, Bobby Jindal's Louisiana or Sam Brownback's uh, Kansas, where they actually put these Reagan policies in place over the last few years and they have just, you know, desperately failed that's still not being reported. The failure of Iraq is still not being adequately reported. This allows a Donald Trump to go to a, a Republican National Convention and, you know, blame the situation with ISIS, uh, you know, frankly, on somehow on Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama when this is a genie that was unleashed 15, 16 years ago. And the media, the corporate media, never understood that this was not politics as usual, that this was not normal, that something was happening with this party, that it was going south. They did not report the facts. They continue, I think, they're much better, of course, than they were 10 years ago. 
But I think they still don't actually let Americans know what is going on. And I'll, I'll cite you an example, and then let me get your your thoughts on this. And, and Desi, please feel free to ring in on this conversation as well, because there's a lot to try to make sense of today, I think. Um, Christian Amanpour. Um, from CNN. Now she's actually, you know, pretty good reporter, uh, journalist, and and she uh, she now anchors, I think, on CNN International, which uh, she was on the Daily Show talking about it. And Trevor Noah, the host of the Daily Show, said CNN International totally different from what Americans see on their CNN. Christiane Amanpour said that her new thing is letting everyone know, uh, and this was, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but but damn near. Uh, she says, I'm letting everyone know that now I'm about truthfulness, not neutralness or some such. She was very proud of this idea that no longer <laughs> is she going to, and the audience applaud, uh, applauded, and I'm thinking, really? It, it took you this long to figure that out? And she's a good reporter. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I feel like no wonder we're screwed because we've got a media who still does not report the facts as they actually are. So I don't know if that, uh, well, perhaps I should say the the conservative movement, as you describe it, uh, its death may be greatly exaggerated. Heather? Is well, I would have always said that, to be honest with you. You know, with the, the conservative crack-up has been predicted for decades, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this goes back to what M. Emmett Terrell wrote about it back in the 70s, <laughs> when it was just getting started. Mm-hmm. It's over, it's done, you know, it's cracking up. And I have never bought it before. I have to say that Trump has, has uh, made me think, as watching this unfold, that this might actually be it. I mean, all movements have a, you know, a beginning, middle, and an end to some extent. And, and I'm speaking specifically about this conservative movement that came out of Goldwater and Reaganism that is based on these three big principles. Um, and, uh, you know, what I saw happening, particularly at this, at this convention, was a complete rejection, uh, abdication, disinterest. These people don't care about that stuff. Of course, what we find out is that a lot of them never did, you mm-hmm. know, that this was, they really, I, I remember saying this early on, and maybe I said it to you, mm-hmm. that Trump, it's the thing that he's doing differently is that he's not dog-whistling. He's just saying it right out. Right. <laughs> and, and it turns out that that's what people really, you know, really were listening to, were the dog whistles and all the rest of this stuff about ideology and free markets and, you know, neoconservatism and whatever else they were talking about. Uh, that that was never really what it was about, which, of course, you know, when you do distill down the very fundamental, uh, you know, firmament of the conservative movement, really it's based upon racism, nativism, and xenophobia, and to, uh, you know, some extent, just bigotry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has always been, I mean, that, you know, coming out of the Goldwater convention uh, in 64, that is what they organized around. So it's not like, uh, you know, there's any big mystery about that. And that is what Donald Trump is selling overtly and blatantly. That is what's left, in my view, of the conservative movement. And so what you're finding is is that the whole ideological uh, facade that existed around this movement has now fallen. And what you're left with is just this kind of ugly id of uh, racism and, and various forms of bigotry. So, you know, I don't know if it's dead. I mean, I don't know. You know, the Republican Party isn't dead. I mean, that, that's, that's too much, because the Republican Party is, you know, there will always be two parties, at least, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there will always be an opposition to whatever the you know left center left uh, you know is is mm-hmm. is saying you know is selling to the American public. There will always be a, a reaction to that. There will always be opposition, and it's going to take some form. I think my point is that I think that the form that we're familiar with, mm-hmm. this thing that you know these guys have been been saying for years, uh, I, I don't think it's operative any longer. I didn't see it operative. Uh, at that Republican convention, it did not seem to me that anybody there cared about it. I mean, you had people last night. Ivanka Trump got up and said that she was going to fight for equal pay yes. <laughs> and and you know child you know d- d- affordable d- child care for everybody, yeah. and they all cheered like that was something you yes. know normal for their for their ideology. I mean, yep. it's ridiculous. So. Yeah, I don't think it's a it's ideological anymore at all. I think it's just purely, you know, what's left is Trumpism. And you know, that is nationalism, uh xenophobia, nativism and just you know, and law and order, authoritarianism. And, and Heather, and, big government. Big, big, big oh, yeah. government. I mean, he's talking about spending, uh, you know, billions on all kinds of things. Doesn't mention what the specifics are, but he's talking about spending billions of all kind, uh, you know, on all kinds on just the wall alone, right? Yeah, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna finance the jackbooted thugs as much, you know. Yeah, <laughs> as far as the eye can see, uh, rebuild the military. I mean, whatever that means. I right. mean, we've have got the you know our military is a hundred times stronger than anybody else's on the planet, but mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, this is this is just a you know this is really ripped away this entire intellectual um, you know uh, scaffolding that was holding up or, or basically covering up uh, what was what's always been at the heart of the conservative movement. So you know, so I don't know where they come up in November. I mean, it's a very interesting question because there was only one you know the undercurrent of the of the convention was the rejection by certain members of the Republican coalition to Trumpism, uh, most notably John Kasich, who refused to come to the convention at, in his own state, which was, you know, that's making a real statement. Mm-hmm. And reports are always also that he's refusing to put his organization in Ohio to work to elect Trump, which is even a bigger deal. Mm. Um, so, you know, that that's a serious rebellion. Now, some of this is out of total political expediency. I mean, Kasich obviously feels like he can run again, and he's positioning himself for that. Uh, Jeb Bush, who I doubt will run again, maybe he will, but, I mean, I, it doesn't seem like he's poised for that. He took out a scathing op-ed uh, at the opening of the convention in USA Today, basically announcing he's going to vote libertarian. <laughs> Um, that's the Bush family we're talking about. You know, yeah. they produced two presidents in the last in the yeah. last forty years. So, you know, this this is a big thing. And then, of course, there was Ted Cruz, who you know is a loathsome, malevolent figure, but also a very smart politician. Who, in my view, and I am in the minority here, I think, among most people, who I think he did. I think he made a very smart move. I think he is positioning himself as the conscience of what's left of the conservative movement. And if you listen to his speech, you'll what you'll hear is a different Ted Cruz message than the one that we're used to hearing from him. I think he senses the zeitgeist is changing and he's positioning himself to be this guy who's conservative, you know, the mm-hmm. the new compassionate conservative guy, mm-hmm. which is kind of shocking, but you know, he's a politician. Hey. And he put and he went into the belly of the beast in that crowd knowing that it was filled with Trump supporters, right. uh, and he got booed in front of Donald Trump, and I think he sees himself as 
the person who will be, uh, you know, will be one of the leaders, and there aren't very many because, you know, Paul Ryan, Chris Christie, Marco Rubio, they all have debased themselves at the feet of this demagogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's Cruz, you know, being the guy who's standing. Now, I don't know how that's going to work out for him. He's a uniquely unlikable figure. Uh, the party establishment will still hate him as much as they always have. But still, that's where I see, you know, you see a party that is in tremendous distress. And at the very least, I'm saying it's dead. I'm not sure it's been officially declared. <laughs> I'm not sure that, you know, maybe it's on life support and they're well, just maybe waiting to pull the plug. Maybe it's going to be a zombie now. Uh, could be. Could be. Just, that, that might be exactly what what it is yeah. going forward until they re- I mean, look, like I said, the Republican Party will regroup. There's always, maybe they'll have to change their name. I don't know. but Or, quote, rebrand. Uh, but, you know, it's... It, there's always going to be an opposition party, and it's a, you know, or you know, a majority party, depending on on where they are, um, and so you know, they're not. It's not going to just die, and there'll be nothing left. Huzzah! We've you know, <laughs> utopia has been. We've arrived in utopia. We no longer have to yeah. do politics, and all of us can go back to you know watching TV again. Well, there are too many billionaires and millionaires that back the party now that I think will be very unhappy to not have someone representing their interests. Yeah. In Congress. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. And, you know, and, and also it's important to point out, too, that a lot of this is, is a demographic shift. And I think this is an important thing about what, what's happened to the Republicans is they've become a thoroughly white and in, as of this election may end up being only a non-college educated white person party. That is not a majority. I mean, there are a lot of non-college educated white people. But this will be the first election, and it really does look like it's on target, where the Democrats are going to win college-educated whites. That's a huge change. It's never happened before since the beginning of polling, going all the way back to the 1940s. Republicans have always won educated white people. This, and it's been slowly eroding over time. I mean, it's not as if they still have a you know, large majority of educated white people. But at, in this election, maybe the one that finally puts it over, over the top, which leaves the Republicans who have no Latinos, no African Americans, and no college-educated white people. Um, okay. I, I, <laughs> no, that's not America. I, well, I, I don't know. I, I am concerned that we are still misunderestimating the, uh, the lifeblood of what you refer to, Heather uh, Digby Parton, as the conservative movement, because I believe they are so brain-addled and so brainwashed at this time for so long and have so many beliefs that are so deeply founded and deeply misinformed that I think this, uh, even if it is a corpse, it is, maybe Desi uh, said it best, maybe it is a corpse that keeps on kicking now, potentially for generations. Uh, And and I'm sorry, I still have to take it back to, to our media, to our media who has not, you know, made these people understand. If you go talk to people, they still think all of these things are true. They still think people are streaming in, uh, you know, undocumented illegals are streaming in through the border and that uh, there is ISIS in all 50 states and that, you know, Hillary Clinton was, you know, murdered people personally in Benghazi. I don't, you know, and I want to blame not just uh, media for that, by the way, uh, Heather, but let me also note that Democrats here bear a good deal of responsibility for whatever this mess is that we are in, however you want to look at this mess. Because when Obama came into office and he said he wanted to look forward, not back, 
That meant there would be no accountability for all that happened during the Bush years, allowing, I think, what we are seeing today, the lies, you know, about the war, about the threat in the Middle East, about terrorism, about, you know, torture and water waterboarding and everything else that is being successfully. And I think it is being successfully misrepresented uh, by Donald Trump out there. I don't know if people are as uh, skeptical as you are, Heather, uh, or as I am or as Desi is. Well, they're definitely not as skeptical. I would say the media is wholly unequipped to deal with what is coming in this campaign going ahead. There have been some that have begun to do some instant fact checks. You know, Jake Tapper at CNN has been better about that, jumping in and saying immediately, "Okay, that's not actually true. The fact is this. But I don't think that they're ready for this. I I seriously think that uh, most of the media is unprepared to cover what the the, the 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 litany of lies and disinformation it happens so quickly and comes one after the other so fast that they have fact check fatigue and they can't get to everything the, and they're covering it as if it's politi- as if it's as if it's a normal election as right. if all of this is a normal thing they note how oh this is crazy this is insane but they're still kind of covering it with that thinking uh, let me let me do this uh, Heather can you stick around for another uh, segment yeah, yeah. with us okay uh, let me take a quick break and we'll we'll come back talk more about this maybe play some uh, some of uh, Donald Trump's screeching uh, speech from uh, from his acceptance speech of the uh, Republican nomination for president. Heather Digby Parton, the great Digby, is my guest. Desi Doyen is here with us. Another incredible week. Uh, and we got another one ahead of us uh, with the uh, Democratic Convention coming up. So we'll get Heather's thoughts on all of that and much more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Killings have risen by 50%. Illegal immigrants with criminal records ordered deported from our country are tonight roaming free to threaten peaceful citizens. Our roads and bridges are falling apart. Our airports are third world condition. And 43 million Americans are in food stamps. Not only have our citizens endured domestic disaster, but they've lived through one international humiliation after another, one after another. Death, destruction, terrorism, and weakness. Trade deals that strip our country of its jobs and strip us of our wealth. Crime and terrorism and lawlessness that threatens our communities, lives ruined, families ripped apart. Protect us from terrorism. This is not believable, but this is what's happening. Mass amnesty, mass immigration, and mass lawlessness destroying our middle class, our depleted military. History is watching us now. We don't have much time. America first. There is a sucker. Each time that second hand sweeps through the top. 
top like dandelions yeah. Up they pop, their ears so big, their eyes so wide and low I feed them bona fide baloney with no truth in it Yep why you can bet I'll Welcome back to the Bradcast. Jesus, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. This is the uh, this is the Bradcast speaking with Heather Digby Parton, the great Digby from salon.com, and of course Digby's Hullabaloo. Desi Doyen, our producer, is here as ever with us as well, uh, trying to make sense of Thursday night's uh, Donald Trump's acceptance speech. What has become of the Republican Party? What the hell this means for America? At this point, uh, Heather, um, Trump's uh, acceptance speech, it was uh, it was dark. It was long. It was not particularly funny, as he usually is, uh, to be frank. Uh, and frankly, it was kind of boring. It was much less boring in that compilation of uh, fear that Desi uh, put together for us there right at the top of the segment. But so I, I was of two minds watching the speech uh, on Thursday night. Um, one, I'm thinking that that was actually the fact that it was so boring was actually kind of a good thing for Donald Trump after this tumultuous week uh, and the crazy primary cycle in which he, you know, often seemed insane. And then uh, two, uh, for some reason, perhaps only momentarily, I think I was I was suddenly less concerned about the likelihood of Trump becoming uh, president in the bargain. I'm not sure which one is is true because I've been quite worried about it more so than most uh, people who I think are still underestimating him. Uh, wh- what thinking is correct here? Did I get it right on either or both or none of that? <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I mean, for for me, uh, I, I, I've watched a lot of Trump speeches. I watch them all mm-hmm. the time. I watch his rallies. Um, you know, as part of my job. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't find his speech to be that unusual. He seemed. You know, that's him. Uh, I agree that he didn't have the normal kind of humor, uh, which usually is its kind of a nasty form of humor that he has. You know, he makes fun of people. Mm-hmm. He's, hes you know, it's, it's but, you know, it's... its But it's the so humor, it's the rambling. Right? I mean, you know, people, yeah. it's, a, it's a certain kind of humor that, that, that is sort of his trademark. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was missing. But, of course, he's giving a presidential nomination acceptance speech, so I, maybe I wouldn't have expected that. Um to me, I think, and I was watching it with some people who had never seen a Trump speech before. And granted, they are, but they're you know relatively apolitical. I'm sure they mostly vote for Democrats. But who are know, those not, people? They're like from uh, from Mars, or uh, who has yeah, not they seen? Yeah, they They've never seen it. They've okay. seen clips of him, right. you know, saying something. They've seen him on the news saying one thing or another, okay. and maybe a press conference. But they never watched him actually speak for any length of time. And that kid, that weird voice of his, where he's just shouting at the top of his lungs. You know, mm-hmm. they're kind of going, "What is you know? Oh, <laughs> what is that about?" And I have to admit, they came away from it chilled. I mean, absolutely chilled to the bone. They had no idea mm. that this was, you know, kind of Mussolini-esque um, yeah. rhetoric that was coming from this guy. I mean, he is a real demagogue, probably the, the, the most significant demagogue, maybe in, in American political history. I mean, he is a nominee of the Republican Party. So, you know, I mean, this is this is not something we normally have. And yeah, but Heather, if, Ivanka is is wonderful and warm, and look She's at so all the sweet. children, and uh, Eric, and, and Don Jr., and Tiffany, they all did such a great job proving what a wonderful human uh, human being and he totally, is. That totally mitigates everything he says, because his kids are well-spoken, and, you know, that and, and very attractive. It 
much in much of the media, though, that was the case last night. I know, and I and I kept seeing these people too, like on my Twitter feed, going, "Well, you know, Ivanka, what she said really kind of indicates that he's not as hardcore as he says he is." You know, uh-huh. I'm going, "Okay, you know, whatever." I mean, of course, there's that, and people and people did love those those children, and and you know, I. I guess, I mean, to me, that was part of his showbiz thing. His kids looked like they were cast members of Million Dollar Listing on Bravo. <laughs> you know, very glossy. Very. I mean, this is what having, you know, millions of dollars can do. You get the best mm-hmm. beauty technology in the world. But and they, they, also, all... they also did do, I thought... A great job. They all oh, gave they were good. excellent speeches. They were they're they're very TV ready, uh, not just in the way they look, but in the way they talk. They understand how to play this game, just like their dad. It seems like, and I mean, you nailed it, uh, Heather. On day one, you were here when he announced his candidacy. You were on the broadcast. You nailed it. And you brought up a point that had not yet I had not yet really understood, which you had said. Uh, you had noted that, like Ronald Reagan, that Trump. Was was a TV star. Now, everybody knows that now, but you nailed it on day one. You said Trump was a TV star. He understands the media, how to reach into American uh, living rooms in a way that most politicians didn't. And that that quality is still, I think, as powerful now in a general election. Uh, and, and I still think Democrats don't get it. I still think the media doesn't get it. He, and, and he agrees with me. I hate to say it. But uh, Des, clip number nine here, just very quickly from his, uh, from his speech on Thursday night on this. Remember, all of the people telling you you can't have the country you want are the same people That wouldn't stand. I mean, they said Trump doesn't have a chance of being here tonight. Not a chance. The same people. Oh, we love defeating those people, don't we? Don't we love defeating those people? Love it, love it, love it. So that's still true, Heather. I agree. And I I hope you don't think that I'm a person who is um, you know, di- dismissing the idea that Donald Trump could win. I, I no, absolutely I think he could win. I mean, you know, this is, we have two parties. They're very mm-hmm. closely divided. Um, I, you know, I don't, I, uh, I don't have any doubt that this guy has got a tremendous amount of, of skill in this, you know, really dark demagogic way of his. And, you know, especially there are circumstances that could happen, things mm-hmm. that, that, you know, have been happening uh, that could push him over the edge. I mean, I don't doubt that. I mean, I would. I am not a person who ever says, oh, you know, let's have the other party nominate some crazy person because mm-hmm. that way we'll win big and, you know, it'll be great. I, I, I don't take that for granted. No, Anything I know. can happen, you know. And, yeah. and so, yes, I mean, I do think this guy's skilled. And, in fact, you know, when you bring up the thing about his... Um, his TV stardom. I saw, and I, I wish I could remember who it was that wrote this. I think it may it was somebody at the RNC who interviewed a uh, a Trump voter mm-hmm. and uh, or a Trump delegate, not a not a Trump voter, a delegate at the RNC who you know was her first time ever doing any of this. She came out of Detroit, I think, or, or maybe it was Chicago, one of those big Midwestern cities, mm-hmm. and she had just sort of decided she liked Trump, signed up on some website to be a delegate, and they just said, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a very strange thing, the way the Trump campaign 
has done this. So there were people there who'd never done anything like this as delegates. It wasn't yeah. all party, you know, normal kind of party functionaries that you find at that, although there were plenty of those, too. Um, but anyway, this woman, they asked her, you know, what is it you like about Trump? Well, he knows how to fire people. He knows how to do that. And in the course of this interview with this woman, it became obvious to me that the only thing she knew about him was the fact was the apprentice. <laughs> yeah. This was this was it. I mean, she did none of the other stuff. I mean, it's not like she had uh, even his mm-hmm. other things, you know, law and order and and the, you know, America being respected and any of that. And in fact, when it was pointed out to her many of the things he said on the trail, she just said, "Oh, I don't believe that." It just dismissed yep. it altogether. I don't believe he actually said that. You're lying to me. Your media you don't know what you're saying. Yep. This is a guy who yep. treated everybody really the same on The Apprentice. And, you know, he's, I know he'll do that for America. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm kind of going, whoa, you know, I mean, well, listen, that, how many people are like that? that? I think there are millions. Yeah, I think there are millions like that. I think there are millions like uh, you, you mentioned uh, the Bush family, uh, that they're going to vote libertarian. That's, you know, obviously extraordinary if, if that happens. Uh, but I know that, uh, you know, they, they don't like Trump. Of course, it's personal with them. He insulted them. I understand that. But, you know, Fred Carger... Uh, uh, a long-time sure. Republican uh, consultant. He was on the show uh, yesterday or day before and uh, said the same thing. You know, he, he's, of course, concerned about Trump, but you know what? Not that concerned. Not concerned enough that he would vote for Hillary Clinton. He, too, is going to vote libertarian. So you've got uh, the, the, the sort of clueless Americans you talked about. You've got the, uh, you know, Republicans who are against Trump, but not all that much. They'll vote libertarian. Uh, and then... You've got uh, still Bernie Sanders voters who will not vote for Hillary Clinton. And uh, Trump is making a play for them. Here's here's a quick clip from from uh, his acceptance speech on on that point, because I think, again, this is another point that Trump is going to make for the next three months. And it, it I think will reach across to the American people. I have seen firsthand how the system is rigged against our citizens, just like it was rigged against Bernie Sanders. He never had a chance, never had a chance. But his supporters will join our movement because we will fix his biggest single issue, trade deals that strip our country of its jobs and strip us of our wealth as a country. Millions of Democrats will join our movement because we are going to fix the system so it works fairly and justly for each and every American. So I feel like I have to keep pointing these things out, not to you, Heather, uh, but just out to the world, because I think there's this, still this underestimation of him, of his message, of how people people feel it, of our uh, bad media, uh, unable to explain that, yeah, these trade issues, they did uh, cost us jobs, but it was thanks to the Republicans that, uh, you know, like Mike Pence, like uh, Donald Trump's uh, vice president, that all of this happened in the first place. Never mind the facts. We are in a post-factual world. So when Donald Trump says stuff like that, 
I think it has a real effect uh, on people and is very dangerous and could succeed this November. Tell me I'm wrong, please. I, I well, I mean, I, I guess are you are you saying that you think that that he's right that Sanders supporters are going to support him? Well, I, I we had uh, Jimmy Dore on the show this week, and I think you know Jimmy uh, from KPFK mm-hmm. uh, Pacifica Radio and the Young Turks. He was in sure. Cleveland for the convention. We talked to him. He made an impassioned and well considered, if in my opinion, completely wrong argument as to why. Uh, uh, he would not uh, th- that why Hillary would be just as bad or worse than Donald Trump. And even if uh, he, she uh, she wasn't, Donald Trump would be so bad that people would finally realize that real change is necessary after four years of that disaster. Well, and that oh he would God. rather wait for that to happen. And that's a smart guy. I like Jimmy. He's my friend. He's, you know, he's well considered uh, the point of view. Um but I believe he's desperately wrong and desperately ignoring all of the people who would be so hurt in those four years. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there who think that. Well, also, I want to say that he was also saying that because during a presidential campaign, the midterm election that comes in in the first term generally flips to the other party that's not in power in the White House. So I think he was saying, if you have Hillary Clinton and the midterms in, in 2018, those are going to go to Republicans if she's in the White House. But, you know, if it's a Republican, then it'll go to the Democrats, then we'll get the Congress and then it'll be in place. Jesus, good luck with that. Okay. Well, I mean, Heather, it's a gamble. It's Heather, a huge gamble. I know. I, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's irrational. Um, and I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. I, I haven't followed his his arguments about about Clinton and and I've been avoiding uh, many of the residual arguments <laughs> since the primaries, just simply because I, I just mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done with that. Um, but but I do think that that um, uh, I I do not believe there are a lot of those people. I really don't. I, I think that 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 for most people who would normally vote, um, uh, you know, on the left side of the aisle, I don't think that they look at Donald Trump and you know, see, oh, great, you know, let's heighten the contradictions, which is essentially what they're saying, or, you know, gee, that guy, he's not that bad. I, I, I just don't think so. And in fact, I mean, you know, I'm sitting there with yeah. people last night who are, who were, they weren't just, they were appalled. I mean, it went beyond just, geez, that guy's kind of nuts, or wow, you know, he's really, you know, he's really quite a freak. I mean, it was like, oh, my God, you know, I mean, this yeah. is, you know, I, I honestly don't, I mean, I grant you, I think, Brad, I'm totally with you on the fact that, A, Trump could win, and B, there are a whole bunch of people out there who will hear what he says and, you know, hear it in whatever way that sort of either, you know, uh, validates their biases or somehow appeals to some part of them that, you know, that they feel that they've been uh, rejected by, you know, politics or that politics isn't, isn't responsive to their needs or that this guy's really kind of cool. He's interesting. He's, he's, he's fun. Mm. He's a star and, you know, they're going to vote for him. There are tons of those people. I don't know how many of them there are. If, if Trump taps in to the great, uh, you know, non-voting uh, faction of America, and that's who we're talking mm-hmm. about, I think. They're people who don't just, they're normally not interested in politics. If he taps into that group, then he brings in, you know, then he, he goes above the floor that we're looking at him right now, which is about, you know, maybe 40, 42 uh, percent. Uh, you know, he could, he could do it. He could get over the, yep. over the top. So I don't doubt that at all. But I really do have uh, strong doubts that there's any more than a very small percentage of, of, uh, of you know, liberal, progressive, you know, 
socialist, anarchist, whatever well, you want to the, say on the left side, that aren't going to see what Trump is. Well, there is this, uh, they may see uh, what Trump is, and they may not care. They may think that's what it requires. And by the way, I'm not out here telling anybody to vote for anybody. I appreciate uh, anybody voting or even not voting. I just want them to know what they're doing when they're voting, know what, you know, the, the, the effect is of these uh, votes. And by the way, uh, David Duke, the ex-Klan uh, yeah. uh, leader, thinks that the uh, environment in this country is good enough for him to get into the race for the U.S. Senate down in Louisiana. He said uh, that, uh, I'm overjoyed to see Donald Trump and most Americans embrace most of the issues I've championed for years. My slogan remains America first. Uh, he believes the country is moving in his direction. Uh, and, you know, when you when you talk to people, when you talk to Americans, they think she committed a crime with her emails. They think she, uh, you know, personally ordered a stand down in Benghazi to the point where, you know, that lock her up, lock her up chant. People really believe this stuff. They are so disinformed. Obviously, well, that I'm I do worried. blame the media. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that that you know, there has been a, a an effort on the part of the media to equalize this horse race I mean, and normalize it. Yeah, and normalize him. And the way that they normalize this, you know, freak show is to turn her into, uh, you know, a raving criminal. I mean, I you know, the last I think I described it as you know the way Trump described her as the leader of a death cult. Of yeah. uh, you know, of illegal immigrants, yeah. cop killers, and Muslim terrorists who are you know who are turning America she's into a calling for escape. she's calling for massive lawlessness. <laughs> yeah, massive lawless, she's calling for it. You know, as a policy. That's right. Yeah, and and you know, so I mean, that was that was the you know his message, and the, you know, and the media has, of course, you know, laid the groundwork. I mean, they, for for that kind of an argument, and and have not sufficiently push back and i think this is something everybody needs to look for we're going to you know we just finished with the dystopian hellscape convention um and and i think and the media was a little you know i watched them very closely as i'm sure you guys did too i mean they were they were a little unnerved <laughs> by this by the darkness of this of this uh convention but i know that their reaction is going to be to try to equalize that as they cover the democrats they were already doing it. They're going, you know, when people were complaining, you know, this lock her up thing is pretty, you know, over the top kind of banana republic -y, don't you think? You, you think? know, I mean, people were saying that. And a lot of the press, including guys like Jake Tapper and, and mm -hmm. Wolf Blitzer and people like that, were responding by saying, oh, well, come on, next week the Democrats are going to do the same thing. Yeah. I'm going, really? I mean, I don't yes. know. They're going to su suggest that, that, you know, somebody lock up See? Donald Trump. I mean, I'm for it. I think, <laughs> I think he needs to be locked up. So, you know, in a you in know, an asylum, maybe. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but um, but you know, I don't I don't expect that that is going to be chanted or that anyway. I mean, they had pre-printed signs that said Hillary for prison. They've got T-shirts yeah. and stuff. I mean, this yeah. isn't just spontaneously coming out of nothing. So you know that the media is already doing that. So everybody, when you're watching the Democratic convention, be prepared. They're going to present the Democrats as equally rabidly. 
you know, completely out of control yeah. as the Republicans were. I, and that, that just really isn't the case. I mean, it just isn't the case. Maybe well, it should be, it but ha- it isn't. It isn't, and it hasn't been for 20 years at exactly. least. And that's my point. That's what got us to this point, the fact that the media do continue to uh, treat it as, you know, like I said, they're better than they were, but there's still this both sides do it thing yep. going on. Yep. And instead of saying, hey, this is an aberration this is insane not only is uh you know donald trump the republican party's frankenstein but now frankenstein himself is in charge of the entire laboratory (laughs) and that's (laughs) where we are Uh, heather i gotta get out uh always great talking to you Um, and and i'm probably gonna bother you again after the democrats uh, have their confab and we'll we'll see where the hell we are anytime anytime it was fun to talk to you guys again you're the greatest heather digby parton uh her on the Twitters at Digby56. Check out her work at salon.com and, of course, at the great Hullabaloo blog, which you can find at digbysblog.blogspot.com. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. All right, a quick break, and we're back with a little bit more Bradcast and maybe some fact-checking right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Speaking of stepping back from that ledge, uh, an email from, well, we're doing our, uh, our Republican convention wrap today uh, before we move on to the Democratic convention coming up in Philadelphia. Uh, an email from Gary Kay. Um, in response to that conversation I had uh, a couple of days ago with Jimmy Dore, my friend, uh, Gary Kay from New Jersey says, uh, Jimmy Dore cares only about himself and his purity test. If he doesn't get his way, he burns down the house. It's all about him. Now, by the way, I disagree with that part of Gary's uh, email here. Gary goes on to say he doesn't care about the people who Bernie was trying to help. Students with debt, people who lost their homes, people without health insurance, minimum wage workers, seniors on Social Security, Mexicans and Muslims, etc. How will all those people fare with Trump as president compared to Hillary Rodham Clinton? Jimmy cares only about himself and his purity test. If you don't vote for the lesser of two evils, you're voting for the greater evil, says Gary Kay. Politics, he adds, is mostly incremental. Now, again, I ain't trying to uh, encourage anybody to vote for anybody in particular. I just want people to have an informed opinion, uh, an informed decision when they make it at the, the polling place. So just by way of very quick response here, since we're running late, I agree with Gary's assessment of the problem uh, and and the, the problem of the idea that some Bernie Sanders supporters still have that, hey, uh, Clinton is as bad as Trump. And even if not, Trump would be so bad that uh, people would then finally see how everything needs to change from top to bottom. That is not how politics works. It is mostly incremental. 
And uh, and I do agree with uh, Gary Kay's assessment. You can send me email, by the way, yourself. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. If you have thoughts on this either way, we've had some uh, lively debates about this over at bradblog.com in the comments section. And yes, Desi, Yeah, I just on. wanted to jump in and, and, and reiterate, I, I, I agree as well with Gary's assessment and not so much about what he says about Jimmy personally, because I know Jimmy very mm-hmm. well and I know yeah. he deeply, deeply cares about those people. He just disagrees on how to proceed yeah. with what to do with that, you know. But I also think that there's a funny part about this, you know, you know, when you're looking at the lesser evil, voting for the lesser evil still equals less evil. That's right. Well, that's that's the corollary. That is one way to look at it. Um, so so I think Gary is right in that central point, if not the uh, personal one attacking Jimmy. And, you know, I'm also kind of troubled watching the, uh, the, the the Bernie Hillary thing that's gone over the past year. So many Democrats have taken on the Republican tactics of not just arguing your point, but of destroying your opposition on a personal level. And that's something that we saw, you know, come up particularly in the early uh, 2000s under uh, George W. Bush and in 2004, that it wasn't that they disagreed with, you know, John Kerry. It is that John Kerry wants to make us less safe. And he, he must be destroyed. And he must be destroyed. He is in league with Osama bin Laden and, you know, the same with Barack Obama. And that has been a Karl Rove playbook now going on 20 years at this point. And it's a shame to see progressives and Democrats pick that up. It really is. I don't think you need to destroy your enemies on a personal level in order to make your otherwise very good case. Um, That's what Republicans do. And they're good at it. And at the same time, as uh, Heather Parton says, hopefully it's serving to destroy their party and who they are because they are so far off the rails at this point they really do need to uh, just rethink it all. Start a new party? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, but uh, one point I want to get in, I know we're, we're running late here, but I want to get in this. I've been trying to get to this all week, and I'll have to keep it brief here. Uh, on, I think this was night two of the Republican convention, Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge is this woman's name. She was one of the speakers on the... Oh, I don't know what it was, the the locker up night of the uh, Republican convention. I don't even know what it was. Uh, And here is just a just to give you an idea of the hypocrisy that still goes unanswered in the corporate media, which I believe still leads to what is ultimately a very dangerous electorate because it is an uninformed electorate. Here's Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge uh, on, on day two of the Republican convention in Cleveland. First female and first Republican elected Attorney General of Arkansas. The very same office Bill Clinton held when those two launched their careers of corruption. But she acts like the law doesn't apply to her. Okay, and then on she goes, Leslie Rutledge does, about uh, the email servers and about Benghazi and about anything they can uh, basically make up. Well, uh, Leslie Rutledge, and, 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 and that's what, you know, went on, that went unanswered uh, in, in the media or anywhere else. Fine, that's what they do at these, uh, you know, political conventions. I understand that. 
But here's some facts about Leslie Rutledge. She was, uh, as we reported back in 2014, this was uh, October of 2014 at bradblog.com. You can look up all the details there. We've got the details, the links, and everything else. Uh, Leslie Rutledge, uh, the article starts uh, that I wrote at the time, the Republican candidate, she was still the candidate for attorney general in Arkansas, has been discovered to have been registered to vote in multiple states in addition to Arkansas and even voted by absentee ballot in Arkansas's general election in November of 2008 after she had registered to vote in Washington, D.C. in July of the same year. In other words, Leslie Rutledge, who was the attorney general of the state of Arkansas, who was out there calling the, uh, the, the, the Clintons, uh, what was it, her, their career of corruption or whatever, Leslie Rutledge committed voter fraud. And as you know, if you listen to this program, if you read Brad blog for years, the Republicans have been making the case that uh, there's massive voter fraud going on by Democrats such that we have to restrict their ability to vote at all by, uh, you know, photo ID restrictions and everything else. And here you have members of their own party, Leslie Rutledge, a Republican at the time, candidate, now attorney general of Arkansas, who actually did commit uh, fraud. Rutledge's uh, Arkansas absentee ballot request form. We have a link to it at bradblog.com. Her absentee ballot request form for the 2008 general election and then her subsequent voter registration form from Virginia. We got all of that. We have that uh, those details there for the attorney general, the chief law enforcement official in Arkansas, who was then able to turn around and declare everyone else uh, corrupt and criminals and need to be locked up. Uh, and oh, by the way, she was also a supporter of photo ID restrictions for voters. You'll be shocked to learn, even though she committed voter fraud. Um, it's just it is such a twisted world out there. There is uh, so few actual fact checkers, people in the media willing to call these people out. God forbid you should call an elected official a voter fraud criminal just because she what? committed voter fraud. Well, if she was a Democrat, I'm sure there'd be no problem calling her that, uh, you know, and, and much worse for having committed much less, as we see with Hillary Clinton. Um, that is the electorate and the media in which we head towards the general election this November. But first, before we get there, we got to get through Philadelphia and the Democratic National Convention. What could possibly go wrong there? Whatever does go wrong or right, we will have it right here for you on the broadcast. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. To my guest today, the great Heather Digby Barton, uh, Barton of Salon and uh, Digby's Hullabaloo blog. And my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night or week with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it at bradblog.com for free. Leave us a comment there if you like or drop us email on bradcast at bradblog.com. And I am on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. Until we meet again, and by then, we'll probably know who will be the Democratic choice for vice president. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.